Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello, and welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I hope you guys had a fantastic 4th of July weekend. My husband and I got to go see some friends. It was an incredible time, and I hope that you are enjoying the summer weather. It's crazy that we have now had so many episodes of this podcast that we're in the summer. It's super exciting. I'm glad you're still here listening. Today on the show, we have Tiffany Serber, who is one of my friends from college. And what I want to share about her story is I know on the intro, we talk about having an open mind, but I feel like most of the stories so far on the podcast have had to do with God healing people's physical pain and struggles in different ways than in the miraculous. And so maybe through taking people home in ultimate healing or through medicine or through people who are still in the fight, glorifying him that way. And all of those ways are completely valid. And that's why we share them. But so is miraculous healing. And I don't want to deny that. And we here at Vying for Victi completely believe in miraculous healing. And so Tiffany's story, I believe, is an example of that from facing crazy battle with anorexia to complete full miraculous intervention and deliverance to where she doesn't struggle with it anymore. And so I just want you to see this story for what it is and how that is just another beautiful way that God is demonstrating one of the fingers of his hand of healing in our lives. So here is Tiffany's story. First off, though, uh, Tiffany, I just want to ask, where are you talking to us from? I am in Dayville, Arkansas right now, and I've been here the last, since 2003. Yeah, which I miss Fayetteville so much. It was the one place I feel like, this is weird, but it feels more like home to me than any other place. I miss it so much. Yes, it's my it's my new home. I've only, I lived up in Northwest Indiana the first part of my life, and I've been here ever since college. So yeah, it is a real special place, really beautiful place too. Yeah. And where, tell me a little bit about your family and what you do for a profession. Yeah. So right now, currently I have three children and I, like I said, I live in Fayetteville, but I teach and coach at West, the Westwork School District. I'm an elementary PE teacher and a high school cross country and track coach. I also do middle school too. And yeah, it's just, I've been doing that for the past 11 years and it's been really rewarding. Yeah, that's so good. And I, when we talked on the phone, I was like, my gosh, that is every age possible that you could teach pretty much. Yes. I do the K through four for teaching and then I do seventh through 12th grade for the the running for the teens. Okay. What is your favorite part of your job? I have a huge passion for health and nutrition and physical activity and running. So I, I just love that I could teach these kids those things that I love and that they could take home with them. And really it's just my ministry too. I use it to hopefully build godly character in these kids. And um, while I am in a public school and I can't really preach them, I could just show through, you know, how I love on them and show that I care about them. 
But yeah, yeah, like I said, teaching and coaching is naturally really rewarding. One of my favorite quotes is preach the gospel and use words when necessary. I think that's how you live your life. So thank you. And I know we know each other from when I was in Fayetteville, but I feel like I'm going to get to know a lot of your story. I think you're going to share a lot of things that I don't know. So I'm really excited to learn. But would you just start off taking us through your journey and you started struggling with some eating habits and things. How did that all start? Yeah, just to take you back, I, I, like I said, I grew up in Northwest Indiana in a town that was about 40 minutes from Chicago. And I grew up in a Christian home and was the oldest of five kids. We were a big sports family and I played multiple sports growing up. And in middle school, I started running cross country and track and quickly found out I had a talent for running. And when I was 15, uh, back in 1999, I started my first cross-country season at Lake Central High School, and I had a very successful first season, winning many regular season meets and breaking records, and ended up earning sixth place at state, which is a tough thing to do as a freshman in Indiana, because it's just very competitive there. But after this season, I wanted to get better and prepare for the upcoming track season. So I decided to do some extra workouts on the side, like more bike rides, lots of abs and push-ups and extra mileage, and started to eat more of a strict diet. And with the strict diet, I decided I would eat a lot of fat-free things. And instead of 2% milk, I was now drinking skim milk. Instead of eating the whole egg, I would eat, throw away the egg yolk and just eat the egg whites. And I really just became scared of things that had fat in it, too much fat in it, and started counting calories. And when I started eating like this, that's when things started to happen. Yeah. So it really kind of happened by accident, right? I mean, yeah, you know, it all started off with good intentions. It was, I was just trying to get better and be the best I could be in running. Yeah. So when this started developing, did you notice, did other people notice, and did you start keeping things a secret? What happened there? So at first my parents, you know, my parents knew all along what I was doing at first. They weren't concerned because they knew why I was doing it. So they, yeah. they saw me doing these extra workouts and, and they saw me eating. I used to make my own meals, but months later when my health started to deteriorate and when my weight dropped under hundred pounds, that's when my parents and even my track coach told me, Hey, you need to stop doing these extra workouts and let's eat more. Well, because I was really sick, you know, I continued to do those workouts and I did it in secret and I would hide in a room or and do the exercises late at night when my parents go to bed. And with the food, I, I was still eating three meals a day and in front of them too. But because I made my own meals, I don't think my parents realized how few calories were on my plate. My input of food was definitely less than the output of exercise I was doing every day. I was exercising more than what I was eating. And that's why I started losing two pounds a week. And this happened over a course of five months. Wow. So what happened to your then athletic performance? Were you getting better? Oh, no. So, you know, during my indoor track season, um, and that happened around February, I was actually running pretty well. While I was thin, I weighed just a little over 100 pounds, but I had, had still enough in me. You know, I was winning races and breaking records and pretty much peaking out in the beginning. But when the outdoor season rolled around in March, when my weight dipped under 100 pounds and my body started to eat muscle, my muscle for fuel, 
and I became very weak and frail and lost all my power because I was losing so much muscle Mm -hmm. and I was becoming skin and bones and I started to run terrible. And when all this was happening, my track coach did step in and try to help me. And he eventually had to tell me that if I didn't put on weight within the next two weeks, that he was going to have to release me from the team. And two weeks later, um, I was pulled off the track team and sent to the Brush Children's Hospital Hospital in Chicago. And that's where they weighed me in at 82 pounds. And they diagnosed me with the obsessive compulsive disorder and anorexia nervosa. And so that was, this all happened in five months. Yes, it happened real so fast. Yeah, and I think somebody that was, I was still going to school this whole time. So somebody that saw me in the fall and saw me just slowly spiraling downhill every day, getting thinner and thinner. And then you'd see me in March and I I just, I looked terrible. Yeah, people knew what was, there was something wrong. Sadly, I was, I was very lonely at the time. I was losing a lot of friends. Everybody was scared, I think nobody knew what to say or do. We were, you know, the people in my grade were 15. We were all very young. So it was a, yeah, it was a very scary time. And I think even for the teachers, they were sending me to the the counselor's office all the time because they didn't know what to do either. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Before we keep going on with your story, I just, when all this was starting and, and I didn't realize how fast it was, but if someone doesn't struggle with this, like looking back, can you analyze what some of the feelings were or the temptations? Like, how would you describe what was going on in your mind played out in your body? Yeah. So I'll be honest, I felt like I was in bondage and enslaved to this sick mindset. I, you know, I was in this downward spiral and all I ever thought about was exercising and what I was going to eat next. It wasn't like that when I was running back in middle school and early, you know, my early ninth grade year. So, and I, I wouldn't let myself eat enough. I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't even focus in class. Um, like I said, I was lonely too, um, lost a lot of friends. And I, I was just hearing these obsessive dark voices in my head saying that I needed to get thinner and exercise more. It's very restless. And it was, I even enjoyed it when people told me I looked thin, which I knew was a very sick, wrong mindset. And to be honest, I remember realizing at one point I didn't even have a goal of competing well on track anymore. I didn't know the purpose anymore of what I was doing. And I was just losing control of myself and going downhill fast. Yeah. So you said you heard dark voices. Do you think that's like your own flesh or perfectionism, you know, with the OCD or like, do you think there was something demonic involved in it? Yes. Uh, I know it may sound crazy to people out there, but it, I think it was demonic. I really think it was from the enemy. Cause if you hear my story, as we keep going, that that was prayed out of me. Yeah. I really, um, yes, it's very, um, I really think it was the Satan's lies. I was, you know, in my ninth, uh, my cross country season in ninth grade, it was a great season. Um, I was even getting interviewed in the newspaper and trying to use that for good to inspire people. And I feel like, you know, when Satan sees something like that, he comes to steal, kill and destroy. And so after the season, that's when he attacked. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you have all this going on. You end up in the hospital. Let's pick up back there. So what happens when you're in the hospital? You're diagnosed with OCD, anorexia. You're at 80 something pounds. What happened? Yeah. So when I was at the hospital, um, after they ran some tests on me, the, the doctor sat down and looked at me and said, 
I had an 80% chance of dying of heart failure um, within those next two months. And about 20% of people who suffer from anorexia do lose their life. And I was about to be wow. part of that statistic. One fifth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When I heard that from the doctor, it was a big wake up call for me. I, I didn't realize how bad of condition I was in. You know, when you have an eating disorder, I don't think you realize how bad you look. You have a distorted mindset. And because I was in a dangerous position, the doctors did want to keep me at the hospital for the next several weeks with feeding tubes. And I, I actually begged my parents to let me go home. I was scared that, yeah, they might help me physically, but not mentally. And I, I actually did go home that day. My parents, for whatever reason, brought me home. And I think I read or heard, I'm not sure which one, and maybe this isn't right, but tell me that the doctors were essentially like, well, if you go home, then you're pretty much resigning yourself to dying. Yeah. Yes. It, <laughs> the outlook was not very good. And I, I was actually shocked that my parents let me uh, go back with them, but they did. And do you know why? I don't know. I, that's why I said, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know if that was just part of the plan. Um, I don't know till this. I don't know. Interesting. Well, God worked it together for good. So that's good. We'll, we'll hear more of that. But man, 80% 80, 80 chance that you would die. Yes, of heart failure. I mean, that's a huge percentage chance, right? Yes. The test that they ran on me, my body fat was very dangerous. It was around, I think he said it was like around 7% very dangerous for a girl. It was under 10% and my body had not much fat on it. And that's what was going to cause the, you know, the heart failure. Yeah. So you're 15 going through this. I mean, my gosh, you're a teenager dealing with everything else. I'm sure you don't even understood. You didn't really understand what was going on then maybe process more later, but you go home, like what's going through your mind? What, what happened? Yes. You know, so I, I was a believer and went to church every Sunday, but for the first time in my life, I got on my knees and I prayed uh, alone in my dark room. I remember crying out to God. I did not want to die. I knew how physically and mentally sick I was. So I knew this could be it and my life would be over at the young age of 15. So when you prayed, did God answer? What what happened? Well, you know, during that week at first, I, I really received a lot, an outpour of letters and phone calls and prayers from teammates, coaches and family and friends. And I did have the prayer team uh, pray over me at church. And I also, you know, during that week too, I, I went to somebody's home where they also prayed over me again. And I'll be honest, it's really hard to put in words, but days later, you know, I woke up one morning with a sense of peace and with this mindset that was that was ready to fight this battle and without any kind of nutritional background I wrote down an eating and weightlifting plan that came to my mind that morning and during that summer I followed that plan with lots of prayer and by I, by the end of it I was able to put on 35 pounds and was physically and mentally stronger than ever so wow. and yeah so in the fall they let me join the team again the cross-country team uh, ended up having a really great season and finishing runner-up at state. And one year after being pulled off the track team and battling anorexia, I was able to win the state championship in the 3200 meter run, winning it in one of the fastest times in the nation. And I remember when, I, as I was crossing that finish line, I was so overwhelmed with emotion not not from winning state so much, but because of what God had done in my life that year. It just all came together. So this all happened within a year. Yeah, it did. That's all wow. within a year. 
And ever since that day, I, I feel like God has used me in so many ways and multiple ways through running. And, you know, hopefully he's not done yet. No, he's not done. I, I am curious, though. This is a unique story of you're going through all this. I mean, did you struggle with those thoughts again? Do you, do you still struggle with them? Or was it really like bondage being broken and you're free? So, you know, after after all this, I you know, I continued to eat real healthy, but and, and but I was always able to get enough calories in. I didn't have that same mindset. I I still in my high school and my college years was always scared to eat pop and candy and desserts, which you know, like I said, I did that throughout my college years. Thankfully, I now have overcome that even. And while I still eat healthy and I value my health, I'm not afraid to have a big piece of chocolate cake and ice cream um, for dessert. And, you know, it's all about balance. And, you know, God wants us to enjoy life too. So those thoughts, though, I had during my ninth grade year never did come back. I don't feel like I have to com- complete some kind of exercise routine before bed um, and exercising what I eat is not on my mind all day. And while I can't say I haven't struggled with my body image, because I think some, we as women do naturally yeah. sometimes, I don't look in the mirror anymore and have these obsessive thoughts about I have to lose weight. So, you know, praise God for helping me overcome that. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like this entire thing was, was pretty much more spiritual than anything else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that some other people that it is more physical mental or do you think this is, and this is just your opinion and we're just speculating, not saying that this is true, but you know, a lot of people struggle with this. I mean, do you think usually it's a spiritual battle that we just don't realize is spiritual? Um, I believe mine, like I said, mine was, um, you know, people could tell it was, I was physically sick from the outside, but I think it's all three of those. When you deal with this, I, I was mentally emotionally and spiritually sick. Emotionally, I I was very depressed during this time and crying all the time. And like I said, spiritually and mentally, I was, had those obsessive thoughts in my end. And they they did, I believe, come from the enemy. So it was a combination of all those three. Do you feel like you still have any OCD tendencies or no? Not, no, not so much. Um, Like I said, I still like to exercise, but I I don't overdo it anymore. I keep things in balance, thankfully. Yeah, so no, I really think I've overcome those thoughts I had in ninth grade. Those were very severe um, feelings and thoughts and emotions I was going through at that time. And no, I I have been healed from that completely. Yeah. Did you ever have any thoughts just of this perfectionism or body image when you got pregnant or had kids or now that you're a mom? It's hard. Yes. I think because I've had two um, babies the past couple years, it is, it was hard to put on that, all that weight um, and not knowing what was going to happen after. But I knew when you're having a child, I, I was more focused on having a healthy baby yeah. and I was willing to do whatever it was going to take. And I was still, like I said, I, I'm somebody that's always a health, been a healthy eater and exercising during that time. So I was able to keep my body at a healthy weight for both myself and for the baby. But yeah, it, it's, it's a struggle to allow yourself to gain that much weight because I put on 40 pounds um, for my last baby, but that's considered pretty healthy. But yeah, it could, it could be out of your comfort zone. I mean, it's out of my comfort zone. You yeah. Know, you know, just I have not had a kid, but you know, it just your whole body completely changes. And I think a lot of women are really me included, a little scared of that, you know? Yes, you're right. Like you said, for me, yes, it's scary, but you have to trust the process too. And, you know, everybody would say, oh, you're going to drop the weight off. 
afterwards. Well, what if you don't, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, you do have a little bit of fear there. And they're worth it, right? Tell everyone that your kids are worth it. <laughs> yes, they are. You just sacrificed your body for your children. So, yeah. I know. There are just so many things. I'm just being totally honest and I feel so selfish, but I'm like coming from an elite athlete background like that, like your abs ripping I have heard or separating or just all kinds of things changing your body it's hard yes yes I and I have that diastis recti where your abs split I have that right now and they there's exercise you could do to help bring them here but yeah it, it is hard it yeah. definitely changes your body after you have kids but I, I have accepted it like I said my babies are worth it and I, I every day I just do the best I can with my health and then I let it go so give amazing. it to God. Okay. Yeah. Let's go back to how you're at this amazing of a place now, but yeah, no. So I do have a question. We've talked about this with both of our backgrounds. So I swam and you ran and both of them are actually extremely common with eating disorders. Uh, so the, as far as statistics, I have heard the three most common sports for eating disorders are running, swimming, and gymnastics. And honestly, if you look at what all three of those sports wear, that's not super surprising, but I actually personally know a lot of people who have struggled with this. A lot of my teammates and, you know, swimming when you're supposed to be eating three to 5,000 calories a day, I know someone who is diagnosed with an eating disorder because she was eating 2000, which is normal. But like you said, like when you're exercising that much, it's actually an eating disorder. And so do you think that eating disorders, first off, do you think they're more common with athletes than not athletes? Yes, I believe so. You know, when you're an athlete, there is a lot of pressure to perform well and look a certain way. You know, if you're an overweight athlete in certain sports like running, swimming, and gymnastics, it, it will more than likely hurt your performance, um, can cause injury. So what we eat does play an important role in our athletic career. And that in itself may turn into that, those obsessive thinking and thoughts and fears about eating. So yes, for sure. Um, and, you know, eating disorders are more common than you think. You know, I, I recently looked up the statistic that 30 million people of all ages and genders do suffer from some type of eating disorder in the U.S. And that's a fairly large number. Yeah. And I think we talk assuming that it is usually women and maybe that's more common, but this men have eating disorders too, right? Uh, yes, they do. And, you know, like you said, it's not as common, but it could definitely for athletes and athletics. I think that it is common to happen for uh, a male, maybe wrestlers, wrestlers and runners, I would think so. Okay. Yeah. So we're not <laughs> excluding that if, if you're a male, but just from our experience and we've both been in female, <laughs> you know, all our teammates are female because we're female kind of things. But, you know, being that this is so common, I feel like there are a lot of people like, what if someone's listening who is thinking, ooh, I kind of see some roots starting. I don't know if I have an eating disorder. Like, what do you think someone can do to, to tell if that's developing? Is that just being self-aware? How would you tell? Or, or when should you start being concerned? Versus like, oh, I care about eating healthy or I care about being good at my sport or losing weight versus, no, this is actually turning more towards... A disorder you know well I'm definitely not a doctor but in my experience if you find yourself counting calories and are scared to eat fat or maybe you're scared to eat in front of people or eat in secret or maybe try to obsessively exercise your food off like I did or 
are hearing, you know, constant voices all day in your head uh, that you need to lose weight when you are already at a healthy weight, you know, all those can be red flags. And also if you're at a healthy weight and start losing a consistent amount of weight over time, uh, something may be wrong too. So just your, I know you're not a doctor, but what if I'm like, ah, oh, I want to lose weight and I'm going to use this app to count my calories. I mean, that's fine, right? Well, it all depends, I guess. Are you at a healthy weight? You know, what, what's the reason behind losing weight? If somebody that's overweight but needs to lose weight, it's probably not an eating disorder that they want to lose weight, but there's probably healthier ways of doing it, I guess you could say. Yeah. I find it interesting that we talk about eating disorders and as Christians, I believe that we're called to fast sometimes. And so I think a lot of people can turn, oh, my church is doing a three-day fast and I, it ends up turning into a diet. Yeah. What do you think about that? Is that just surrendering our thoughts to the Lord? Because it can change so fast. Yeah. Well, fat, you know, fasting, it, we're, we're giving up food to get closer to God. You know, it should never be twisted and turned around for you to be losing weight. That's, that's the wrong intentions. You know, God knows your heart too. So, but yeah, I know fasting is very biblical and I think it is important for people to do. If you're struggling with an eating disorder, that probably is not something that you need to be doing right now. Um, There's always, you could always fast from other things um, that may be an idol in your life. But for somebody that's healthy, fasting, um, that's a great thing to do to get closer to God and to sacrifice something that day to, like I said, get deeper in the word and prayer and meditation. Yeah, I just think it goes back to what we're talking about with the enemy just will take anything powerful. I I think that you're the most powerful in the spiritual world after something like that, after a fast. And I actually was just looking at Jesus in the wilderness and him talking about, you know, I always thought it was like, oh, that's just like Satan for him to come after Jesus after 40 days of fasting, right? Of course he attacks you at your weakest spot. But actually, like Jesus chose to go into the wilderness for 40 days. And that's when he faced Satan. And so actually thinking about the fact that he was purposely doing that so that he would face Satan at his strongest spiritually. I had never thought about that. And so I think fasting is something that can make you an incredible powerhouse for the Lord. And it's crazy that we can turn it ourselves and our flesh or Satan just tries to pick away at something that is so honoring to God. Right. So crazy. So in that, just talking a little bit about more the spiritual side of your story. So, you know, you felt like this was people prayed over you. God gave you this eating plan. What would you say to someone who feels like they're struggling, but they don't feel like they have this guidance from God or, or maybe even they're not a Christian? First and foremost, I am a firm believer in the power of prayer. I think wherever you are, you should get on your knees and cry out to God. I, I know that's the first action I took. And also to seek help from somebody that you trust who will encourage you and hold you accountable and pray with you. And while in my story, I didn't stay at the hospital, I encourage people to seek professional help too, because I, I know a few people who have been helped do some great recovery centers out there. And those centers also have helped them with their spiritual walk too. Yeah. Do you think, I know this is your opinion, but do you think it's possible to defeat an eating disorder outside of Christ? You know, that's, that's a tough question. Um, I'm sure there have been some people out there that have overcome eating disorders with just professional help, but have they received complete healing from within? That's hard for me to believe. Um, I truly believe those 
voices I was hearing was from the enemy. It was a dark season and there was some spiritual warfare going on within. And it took the power of prayer to cast out that spirit. And I've been able to find true peace and joy afterwards and use it as my testimony. And I don't believe that you can fully do that without him and his help. Yeah, I think uh, we, we try to face things a lot in our own willpower. And is it safe to say for you that without Christ's intervention, you would be dead? Do you think that's a summary? Yes, I agree with that. I really believe I was truly healed by God. Who knows where I would have been if I didn't get on my knees and pray? That's a scary thought, you know, or maybe I, my story would have been where I stayed in the hospital and got better that way, but maybe still struggle today mentally. So my story, yes, God, I believe that God healed me. Yeah. Well, I, it was really fun talking to you the other day, talking about all the athletes you coach and just the things you're doing. So nowadays, how have you seen God just continue using your testimony in the lives of others? Do you have a, a story or just ways that you've seen God work through your story? You know, first, God has given me an amazing amount of opportunities to share my testimony uh, with others. I have shared the same testimony in the newspaper, in front of my church, at multiple sports events, to my athletes at school. Um, I've always told myself, if I'm given the opportunity to share my testimony, no matter how scared I am, I will do it because you just never know whose life you're going to touch. And I believe that God has called us to share what he's done in our lives. And since my battle of anorexia, God has really used me in my running still. And, you know, like I said before, now I'm an elementary PE teacher and a head cross-country and track coach at the school district. I have a running club for my elementary students before school and have rebuilt their cross-country and track programs at our middle school and high school. So, you know, and as a bonus, we've had some success with our cross-country teams win state these past few years. And I've been given yeah. a, a Yeah, so, you know, and that's just a bonus. Winning's not everything, yeah. but yeah. trying to impact my, you know, their lives. So this is something they'll never forget. And, you know, along with that, I've been given this amazing opportunity to run blind runners, too, and have them on my team. So, you know, my job these past 11 years has been my ministry, and it's been amazing to share God's love through running to my students and athletes. Yeah. And we talked about this. I hope we can have her on the podcast at some point. But one of your students has an incredible story as well, who is a blind runner. Yes. Yes. She has an amazing, amazing story as well. So yes, she's from China and adopted into a family. But when she came to my school, it changed everything. It was just awesome for my runners to run with her. I was able to race with her in races and she was able to like inspire the running community here in Northwest Arkansas with her story for five years straight. But yes, she, she's somebody that has an incredible story and I'm excited that you're going to interview her. Hopefully. And didn't you tell me something about like your school is the only school that had a blind program or something? You know, I don't know statistics and all that, but it's very rare to have blind runners on your team. I would like to say, I know I'm probably, I was probably the only coach in the state running with their athlete. There's um, a school of blind, I think in Little Rock, there might be other programs that I don't know about. But it is rare. Even across the nation, there's not too many school districts that has blind runners in a public school setting. Right. And also where their their teammates and their coaches are racing with them in the meet. So when you say that, so you would run, and I know it's a sight runner. Will you explain to someone who's never thought about this before, what's, what is a sight runner? Yeah, so it's a guide runner. And um, we take a rope 
and you you hold one end of the rope and your blind runner holds the other end and it's fairly short it's only like two feet long the rope and yeah you just run side by side and you sort of as a guide have to tug and tug the rope a little bit to guide them and like let's say we're on the cross-country course to go around a corner you have to tug you know just guide them that way and talk to them the whole time too like in meets we would have to wear bright colored jersey like a yellow jersey that said guide runner so people knew when we were racing that there was a blind runner yeah, and we still, we have Jenna's brother that's going to be running with us this this upcoming cross-country season. So we still have, we still have a blind runner and we have used guide runners from anywhere too. Uh, one of my teammates, Paige Heffron, has done it and some other U of A runners have jumped and helped. So it, it's been like just awesome to see that. I think just when we go to those meets, cross-country meets, it's so I think it really is neat for somebody that's never seen that before to watch somebody racing, you know, with a guide runner, um, a blind runner with a guide runner. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of people, the majority of people are probably inspired, but I also know from having competed for, you know, most of my life that there are those people who are super competitive. So there's a question in my mind of, have you not had anyone or how do you disprove like that the, the guide runner is not pacing them? Oh, (laughs) well, yes. So when I would run with Jenna, yes, I, I would be competitive with her. But, you know, I'll be honest, I, there, I would always have to remind myself to, hey, back off, let her run. See, you have to still tug the rope. If you don't tug it at all, then they're going to be going back and forth. So, but yes, you can't tug it too hard or else you're, I guess you could say you're cheating. So, yeah. you know, when you're running, that's where you encourage them, hey, get up here, let's get going, you know, and you hold the pace. But there has to be still some tension on the rope. Yeah, that's super cool. I actually looked up when Paige told me that she had done it, if I could do it here. But there aren't many. I think there's only like three people who need it in the state of Montana. So right. it's like not as common here, I guess. But Right, right. Well, we don't have as many people in general. But that's funny. So this is such a cool program. I love that your God's using you that way. I random question, but have you seen any of your students? I know you have this huge age that you teach and coach, but have you ever noticed any of your students having an eating disorder in 11 years? So yes, from coaching, I think I've seen, I guess you could say red flags. You know, I always, because of what I went through, um, a lot of my kids already know my story too. I always have encouraged a healthy well-balanced eating. And I always told them, you know, a lot of the kids will show up and have not eaten all day. I've had girls trying to lose weight and not eat all day and then come and run and then feel like they're going to pass out at practice. And, you know, I would always have to sit down and talk to them like, Hey, you know, you got to feel your body properly. Um, or else it's just like a car. You got to fill your body up with fuel so that you could run or you're going to have an empty tank. So, and if you are losing weight too, that's going to make you weak and frail. You know, you got, yeah. So I've had kids not eating or maybe scared to eat certain stuff too. And I told them, Hey, make sure you treat yourself too. I told them in the past, I used to not eat all these desserts and pop. I always tell them this a little bit's okay. A lot is not just eat your normal eating and treat yourself. So it's not a fun, it's not a fun way to live when you have that kind of mindset. Cause I've gone through it. it. I was miserable. And I, I, when I started eating desserts again and other stuff too, I was so much happier, you know, like God doesn't want us to do that. Enjoy, you know, he wants us to enjoy um, food too. So, yeah. Yeah. And I know our food system is super messed up. However, I also think about the fact that God 
gave us the senses for a reason and we can taste for a reason. And like, can you imagine how boring it would be if every food tasted the same and you just had to eat just because you had to eat because your body needed it? So yeah, he gives us that for a reason. So, but you know, in the other way, he wants us to take care of our bodies too. So like I said, it has to be about balance. But yes, you're right. We have those senses so we can enjoy food. And just talking about what you said of our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And so I think a lot of people struggle with their body image and with being overweight, but that goes the same way of being underweight, right? Yes. There could be eating disorders with binge eating, um, secret eating, closet eating, or bulimia too, where somebody's binge eating and then they throw it up. So yeah, there's, there's other types of eating disorders and it doesn't have to be anorexia. It could be the opposite condition. Well, and I don't know that I know the term, what is closet eating? Yes. It's somebody that's hiding. Pretty much you're, you hide your eating. You go hide, like it could be the closet. And when nobody's around, you start binge eating in the, the closet and then hide your food in there. And it could be certain times of the day that you do that. And so, yeah, that's not normal eating, obviously. This is sad, you know, this is scary, sad way to live. Yeah. So when you talked about your students, you've seen some red flags. What if there's maybe a mom listening who maybe she doesn't struggle with it, but she's like wondering if her daughter is or a coach listening who's like, I don't know, I don't have experience in this, but I'm curious just explicitly what, what are some red flags that you can see in people that maybe you should try to help? Um, you know, like I said, visually, if you see somebody losing weight over a period of time, that really probably doesn't need to be losing weight. That that's a red flag. Like I said, um, or if you see somebody going to the bathroom all the time after eating, that could be a sign of bulimia or kids. I've had, like I said, the girls feeling lightheaded or passing out. I feel like they need they're going to pass out. And I would say, Hey, did you eat today? And lots of times they would say no. And so that's, a, yeah, that's a sign where you probably have to, you know, sit down with the parent and the child or, or at least, you know, reach out in some way. Yeah. So from my perspective, so I was a teacher as well. And most teachers are in it because we want to help people a lot. Right. And, but it's also really scary whether you're a teacher, a parent, maybe you're a friend, like it can be really scary to confront someone about that or like, what, what are you insinuating about me? And so what do you suggest people do to help someone with an eating disorder? Is it like you talk to them? Is it you pray for them? What would you suggest? You know, so one thing you don't want to do is to cut the person down and tell them they're selfish. I know I had somebody do that to me when I was sick and really telling me I was selfish and just, I, they, they were cutting me down and it just made things worse. So I think just, you know, you, you need some, you do need support, you need accountability and you need somebody there for you that will listen to you, just be there for you every day and pray with you and for you, give you hugs. Um, and that just believes you and just willing to help out in any way. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I think it can just be so tricky sometimes. I think because, I mean, let's just be honest, like this is not a topic that is talked about a lot. And that's why I was so grateful for you for doing this. And so do you think, I I think there's shame. Do you think there's shame surrounding an eating disorder and why? Yeah. um, You know, for me, I have always felt it's embarrassing because about what some of the things I went through, because, you know, you when you share a story, you are afraid sometimes that people look at you and think you're crazy because they don't understand 
Hmm. And also Satan wants to think that you're alone, um, but we're not because there, there are always people or there's always somebody out there who needs to hear your story. It has gone through the same thing, but like you said, it's just, you know, scared to open up about it or go ask for help. But I really believe God wants us to be vulnerable about this kind of stuff and get out of comfort zones and share what he's done in our lives. Like 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says that power is made perfect in weakness. And I think the biggest influence you can have on people's lives is when you are open and share about your struggles to others. I have been hesitant about sharing my testimony plenty of times, but after I shared it, I'm always glad I did because I always found out later I encouraged one person, if not more. Yeah. And the one is worth it, right? That's Jesus goes after the one and leaves the 99 to go find it, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I just think that they're, I don't know why I'm just trying to get to the bottom of it, but we, we do put certain sins as more shameful. I think sharing it brings freedom because lies live in darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have, just summarizing, how have you found your freedom in Christ? You know, because of my faith and just knowing what Christ has done for me on the cross, I know that I will always battle with sin, but I am no longer a slave to it. You know, through the power of Christ, I'm free from the bondage of any sin or struggle I'm dealing with. And, you know, many of us today are living in spiritual slavery without even realizing it. We chase these false gods of money, success, personal comfort, our image, and, you know, love even, and only to realize that all these things lead to emptiness. And, you know, that only true joy and freedom and contentment we will ever find in this life comes from following Christ and acknowledging our brokenness to him daily. And he can break those bonds of slavery to any sin and lead us to true freedom now and forever. And I know I have found that in my own life. That's awesome. Was there any word, mantra, scripture verse that you use through this time or that's been monumental in your life or even in the struggle? You know, I love what I mentioned earlier was from Paul that wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. You know, I'll, I'll read it, you know, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecution and difficulties for Christ. For when I'm weak, I am strong. And, you know, this passage just reminds me that when we are going through a dark season, in our life and our just our faces are down in the valley that God is present and can demonstrate his power through us during some of our weakest times. These times make us more reliant on him, deepens our worship and purifies us of our weaknesses. And I, I truly believe that if you turn to God during these times and be honest and open about your struggles with others, it can be your most effective ministry to others. Yeah. Amen. That's awesome. Well, and two, just, I think we're coming to the close here a little bit, but I am thinking about your story and the darkness. And you said it was one of the scariest moments of your entire life. And I feel like it's really applicable for, and timely for what we're going through now. Like there are some people now who are entering the darkest, scariest parts of their life just because of the year 2020 has been. So what would you say, or do you have encouragement having been in this deep, secretive, dark place to someone who feels like they're there? Maybe it's not even an eating disorder, but they just feel like they're there right now. Right. The, anybody who's out there struggling right now, just letting you know that God loves you. He sees you and, you know, who 
anybody that's out there dealing with some loss this season or struggling, I encourage you to keep praying, uh, keep the faith and keep fighting the fight and just know that God is in the business of turning things into beauty from ashes. I, you know, I know this full well because I have experienced it firsthand in my life. Yeah. And, and tell people, right? Like what you're saying of the, the secrets, I think, what if we're all sitting here like, man, I'm feeling depressed because of the isolation or because of all the conflict in our country, but we're just sitting here trying to deal with it on our own, right? And we can't, and we can't do it on our own. And we have to take those thoughts captive every day because like I said, Satan does come to still kill and destroy and he will, he, he wants to ruin your life. He wants to make you depressed. He wants to make you ineffective. So that's why every day we have to take up, I guess you could say, take up our cross daily and rely on him in every moment. You could choose that, you know, either way, freedom or be bondage to the, the worldly thoughts and ways. And But there is freedom through Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tiffany, I'm super, super grateful. Is there anything, it could be something totally unrelated to this part of your story. Is there another part of your story or something that is just burning on your heart that you're like, man, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. I, I, I don't have anything else. I don't think. Well, thank you, Tiffany, so, so much. We're really, really grateful. And I know it's going to encourage at least one person. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully it's the right stuff. I tried. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's, kind of hard. it's I wrote, you know, I had to write it down because I'm not really good at the spur of the moment. But all the stuff I wrote down was from my heart. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's so encouraging to other people to see you stepping out in that bravery because how many of us function that way, you know, and that's so encouraging to someone else. Right. I know. And just like, I keep bringing back to the Facebook post, not many people probably would do that. So I just, sometimes you just got to be example to somebody that way. Like, look, it's okay to be open. And it's okay if you need to write down some stuff to help get your thoughts right. Share your story. Like it's still powerful. Yes, I have to. Yes. Writing, writing is very healing too. I think mm-hmm. so. Journaling. Well, like you said, when you were preparing, you felt like it was like a Bible study. Yes, it was. You, you just get real, you just got your Bible open you get deep into it. You're even cross-referencing and uh, it's awesome. Yeah. I wonder if that's like, pretend you're on a podcast and then think about what they would ask you and then write your answers that it could be healing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but thank you, Tiffany. Yeah, you are welcome. I'm glad that you asked me to speak today. So it was out of my comfort zone, but I'm always, I always feel better after doing it. So I'm like, it helps me grow as a person too. Well, I am so grateful to Tiffany for sharing her story. And it's just an incredible reminder to me to reach out to people who might be feeling lonely. Like she described so many people feel that way and we just don't know because we're not sharing it. Maybe praying for someone you think has an eating disorder or reaching out to them. Maybe it's someone totally unrelated to something with an eating disorder. But I also want to encourage you to pray for your healing that you could see God's hand in your life. Like he so clearly demonstrated his hand in Tiffany's life. I know we want to surrender to his kind of healing and be okay with what he decides, but also never quit asking for healing. Never quit asking for God to demolish a stronghold that's been in your life. He is able, he is worthy, and he is faithful. We will see you here again next Monday.